Next up on the show, we have a co-host of the podcast Running Place. Um, It's a podcast covering the Golden State Warriors, and she's a sideline reporter for um, the Golden State Warriors for the NBC Sports Bay Area. Um, Her name is Kareth Burke. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Sure, no problem. So um, myself and uh, my co-host, uh, Matt Thomas, uh, we were really looking forward to having you on the show because you have a deep knowledge of the, the Golden State War specifically. And we wanted to get your opinion on when the pandemic first hit. What was the vibe within the Warriors organization just in terms of the Warriors participating perhaps um, in some offseason, excuse me, just um, kind of how would I put this, just um, kind of off-season workouts, just anything participating with the NBA, um, but under just weird circumstances because of the the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I actually go back to, gosh, I think it was March 11th. It was during the day. Um, I remember Rick Welts, the president of the team, and Bob Myers, the GM, spoke to reporters, and just the seriousness of what we were dealing with was was really on display. Um, you know, coronavirus was a big deal, and the Warriors were preparing to possibly be the first team to play a game, maybe without fans. Um, so they, they knew, like, the NBA, like, they just had a spotlight on them, and they wanted to do everything right. It was kind of kind of funny how quickly things changed. Like, in the morning, I'm talking with my producer about, like, what it's going to be like to be in the building without fans, and how can I be the eyes and ears if fans can't see it themselves. And then, boom, that night, the league was suspended because Rudy Gobert tested positive. So it was like an hour-by-hour hour type of thing. And then throughout the summer, there was a wonder about, well, is the season over or how long will this postponement last? Um, If teams come back, because the Warriors had the worst record in the league, would they be invited to play again? And it turns out that only those 22 teams that had a chance, you know, to reach the playoffs, um, the teams that needed to participate for seeding were the ones who would go. And that actually felt like a great idea because why bring more people than you would need to a bubble, like why risk the infection? So I think that the NBA found a really good solution or, or the best that they could. Um, so where did that leave the Warriors? It's been a long summer without a lot of action and that's why they just wrapped up the training camp. They got together for, I think it was like 10 to 14 days because um, they had to quarantine first. So um, they were together for an amount of time but on the court for a different amount of time. And it was just a way for the team to play some games again together, they, they scrimmaged or they did three on three or just being around team, linking again, having the chemistry again, um, remembering what this team is about, how they want to train, um, how they want to strive for excellence. So I know that was a very long answer, but it's been a very long summer, Justin. Um, and I think the Warriors are doing their best with the rest of the league to um, prepare for next season. How do you think that's going to affect next season, just in terms of having limited interaction with each other once the season, you know, resumes, whatever that might be, um, especially since the Warriors will be back at full strength? Do you think we'll see anything unusual in terms of kind of chemistry issues, or do you think it's just going to be a normal process whenever the season resumes, in which it might take them around 20 games to just get their chemistry back, but once they have their groove, um, everything will go back to normal? Yeah, I mean, it's a healthy environment with a good culture. So right away, you're on a great starting point. Additionally, when you have Steph, Clay, and Draymond, when you have that trio, like that nucleus, 
they definitely have a direction for how they want to, you know, how this team needs to behave to be, you know, champions again. Chemistry, though, is interesting because chemistry is not always automatic. And for example, when you bring in Andrew Wiggins at the trade deadline, he got, I think, four weeks with the Warriors and then the season was suspended. So you're trying to fold in this new guy who could be a great force for you on offense. And, you know, like, where does that leave him? So there's new players like Andrew. There might be their draft pick. Um, there's the younger guys, um, the guys who are trying to figure out their role on the bench. You know, all of these pieces need to come together and basically reintroduce themselves to each other and find that vibe together. So maybe like other teams in the league who have had a layoff or, or the teams who even went to the bubble and just survived that strange circumstance, all of the teams are going to have to check in with each other um, reflect on what they want to do for a new season and and try to build themselves up again. From your standpoint, what is your opinion of how the league handled the bug bubble from just a television perspective, just in terms of how they presented just the sideline reporters, the, um, the, the play-by-play guys, just in terms of how it looked aesthetically? Was it um, yeah. the, the can noise? Was, was that an issue or did it provide an upgrade to the normal NBA experience. What, were your, what was your opinion on that? Yeah, you know what? I actually didn't mind the noise. Um, I think that I thought it helps, you know, like crowd cheers or I don't think we heard any booze, did we, Justin? But just the, I don't the, think so, the ebbs, yeah. <laughs> the ebbs and flows of the crowd, I think, helps from a viewing perspective. It kind of made it normal. Um, the most important thing to come out of the bubble were that there were no negative tests. Okay, let's focus on that first because the whole situation – of having a bubble in the middle of the pandemic is extremely unusual. Um, How it was executed, I thought they did a great job. I mean, it might look a little funny to have those partitions in between people who are sitting next to each other, but who cares if it looks funny if it keeps people healthy. Um, I really like the way that sideline reporters were utilized. Um, I know they couldn't move around so much, but just because cameras do not catch everything Having those reporters down on the lower level was so worthwhile. I know there are things like, for example, when I'm doing my job, I'm not always following the ball. I'm not necessarily watching the game. I'll take some plays off and watch the bench specifically. I'm looking at facial expressions. I'm looking at which coaches are talking to other coaches. Like I'm not always following the bounce of the ball. And if I notice something interesting in interaction or body language, I can tell that information to my producer so he or she knows to put a camera on something that's not part of the action. So that's really an important job for sideline reporters. And I, I like what cameras caught. I think everybody did the best they could. I even thought it was kind of amusing to have the, um, the virtual fans there, just so you feel connected to the game. And it didn't feel like they were playing in a, like a box with like nothing on the walls. Um, I think they did their best. To, to recreate some of the atmosphere of the games when, you know, atmosphere was missing. There was no home court advantage for any of the teams. It was just very unusual. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I thought <clears throat> the virtual fans, <clears throat> excuse me, were an asset. It was cool just to see who's going to pop up in a game you're mm-hmm. going to watch, like an NBA legend or just just a certain, like, kind of unusual fan. It was it was really uh, visually a, a 
appealing. Um, yeah. I want to also ask you about the the NBA drafts coming up. Um, we're just with the, all these unusual circumstance in terms of how the the combine's going to work. In terms of, you know, usually getting to interview a lot of the a lot of the players face to face. How will that affect the Warriors in this draft? They have a pretty high draft pick. Is that going to really provide any roadblocks into which player they select? Um, what, what is your opinion on that? Uh, the draft is November 18th. I know they've spoken to a few people. Um, I think it was via Zoom or whatever platform you want to use for, for those virtual meetings. And I think it's unusual because the Warriors, especially Bob Myers, who's pretty intuitive, like actually kind of emotional, he really likes to talk to people on an emotional level. Like I would predict he kind of asks questions about family and interests first before he digs into basketball. Like he really wants to get a sense of who the person is and whether they fit inside the locker room. Um, And that's harder to do over a screen. Additionally, it's such a funky draft because usually we would see a larger body of work for these draftees, right? These guys didn't get to go through March Madness. We didn't get to see them perform on a, on a huge stage. We didn't see how they started the season versus how they concluded it. So that makes these interviews even more important to get a sense of who the player is. And then, of course, you have to get a sense of their skill. There hasn't been really an opportunity to do that in person. So, man, if you thought drafting was tough, Previously, like this is a whole new dimension of, of strangeness. Um, at this time, I, I really don't know what direction the Warriors are going to go in. Like fans ask me all the time, do you think they're going to trade the pick or do you think they might take a center? Or, like what's going to happen? And it's that time of year where one, not a lot of stories are coming out. Warriors don't want to tip their hands. And two, if I do see information coming out, I'm definitely suspicious of it. You know, teams always want to play this stuff, like, real close to the vest. So I just don't know. I'm sorry I don't have any answers for you there. And I I wanted to ask you, in terms of the Warriors, um, you kind of hinted in terms of, you know, just in the past, they have been, lack of a better term, kind of the darlings of the NBA, always getting that kind of television spotlight. And this, this season, we've seen the league really focus on the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. Um, 76ers, and then we have the, the Brooklyn Nets emerging with Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. Do you think that will be a benefit for the Warriors not to have that constant microscope as in years past? I mean, the, they'll, again, they'll be back at full strength, um, not having that constant scrutiny all the time. Do you think that will be a, a plus or maybe it's a negative? Which, what's, what's your feeling on that? No, I think it, I think it pained the players not to be in the playoffs. They had made it to the finals five consecutive seasons and to be left out and to be, you know, have a really frustrating injury prone season to have 15 wins does not make the Warriors feel satisfied at all. You asked another interesting question inside that question, though, and it was about the fatigue of like all the attention that they were getting. Um, There was definitely fatigue as far as cameras everywhere, videos, social media, just like a lot of people wanted a piece of the Warriors. And and I know like Bob Myers and Steve Kerr have talked about this, like every team in the NBA would love that quote unquote problem. But there is something real to just being 
to feel like you're being watched at all times. Like you can't go out into public without people chasing you or you can't, you know, there's just cameras everywhere. And even, you know, Steve Kerr got that question when the last dance was on the story about Michael Jordan uh, and the, the Bulls dynasty. Would he ever let cameras into the locker room to record the Warriors dynasty? And he said, no, a very firm. No, he said, there needs to be some spaces where cameras are not. So he wants to preserve that for his team. So will the Warriors next season kind of feel like, okay, we want to be back in the conversation. We want to be back in this mix. Yes, from a competitive standpoint, because um, they know that they weren't, you know, in the same conversation in the West this year. They went from being on a very high mountain to the seller of the league, and injuries can turn things so quickly. So with the Warriors healthy again, knock on wood, right, Justin? I, right. <laughs> things can turn on a dime. Right. But right now, I want to put them all in bubble, all in bubble wrap. Um, they most definitely want to get back in contention. And I think they understand in a changing West, it's always going to be difficult. It's extremely hard to win a championship, but the Warriors know what it takes. It is extremely difficult. And one of the players that, that led him to those multiple championships is Steph Curry. And I listened to one of your recent podcasts and you, you were discussing with your co-hosts about Steph Curry remaining a warrior for the rest of his career. And at this age of the NBA, players are, <laughs> a lot of them are looking for, you know, that max contract or just looking for a different uh, scenery. Oftentimes, you know, players staying with their the team that drafted him, it's kind of a rarity. And, and yet I believe you believe Steph Curry will remain a warrior for the, for the rest of his c- career. Um, can you kind of give some insight as to why? And if things, you know, let's just say you never know in an NBA season, the Warriors somehow have another kind of losing season or things go wrong for a consecutive amount of time. Well, that's that Steph Curry's, you know, feelings on remaining a warrior. Or do you think he, he's steadfast no matter what happens, he'll always remain uh, with Golden State. Sure. And this is me speaking based on a gut feeling. Um, I think Steph sees that this is a healthy organization, you know, and for other players who make a leap elsewhere, you know, maybe those situations aren't as healthy. What do I mean by healthy? You have a GM that he connects with, a guy who's very intuitive and emotional, as I said. You have a coach that he loves to play with. And in his career, I I do believe this is his 10th season. Um, He's had two coaches. He had Mark Jackson, who he really likes. He has um, Steve Kerr, who he really likes. But the point is, there hasn't been a lot of coaching turnover. So he gets to know these guys. He gets to know exactly what's expected of him. He also loves the Bay Area community. I love how he speaks about Oakland. I love how he speaks about the Bay at large. He really feels like this area has adopted him. And when he first came into the league, there was some hardship. They weren't a great team. But Steph grew with the community. He is loved here. And, and, you know, he does so much um, charity work. He really takes care of children here. Um, I think he likes the business side of being in the Bay Area, too. Lots of opportunities here. His family is happy here. And I think he's in an organization that has clear expectations, an organization that spends money to get better. So there's just a lot of factors that make me think Steph could be here for a very long time. And how special would that be as well? You know, like he saw how long his father played in the league. It was 16 years. I know Steph wants to play at least that long. So his investment in Golden State has been very strong. And it's kind of cool, Justin, to think that what if Steph is a warrior for life? What if Clay Thompson is a warrior for life? That's something he said he wanted to do. 
What if Draymond Green is a warrior for life? You think just one of those guys being on their team for life is special? Make it three. This could be one of the like all-time great trios in NBA history with that extra level that you know they spent all of their time here in the Bay Area. Agree. I think that'd be pretty cool to happen. And, I'll, and if that does happen, hopefully they spark a trend for the rest of the league because that's something, just being an old-school NBA fan, I miss. I miss those players staying with their home team. Um, and, you know, there's the benefits of seeing crazy free agency and seeing different players on different teams. But um, I have that kind of old-school thinking of just, you know, the team that drafted you, just having that long career with that one franchise. Um, it's just something special about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, that's not to begrudge, honestly, the guys who choose to to go. I do believe in player empowerment. I do think sure. they should be able to move around for teams. I think they should be able to leverage the best offers they can get because your body has an expiration date, right? You're not going to be healthy forever. So get your bag while you can. I don't sure. mind these super teams. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, I'm all for player empowerment. Um, but the Warriors have a really unique situation on their hands. They do. Uh, Kareth, thank you very much for joining the show. Um, please plug any social media, any projects you're working on. Um, just go right ahead. Any um, social media platforms to run. For sure. I'm on Twitter at Kareth Burke, and you can find me on Instagram at Warriors Kareth. Um, it's the off season, so things are a little slow light na- right now. That's the way I like it, actually. So no projects <laughs> to plug. Just uh, Just give me a follow. I'd appreciate it. Awesome, Kara. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This is a good time.